A note for tonight's show before we begin. My segment does cover triggering topics such as abuse, body harm, trauma, all recounted by former patients at Central State Hospital. Listener discretion is advised. For over 150 years, the west side of Indianapolis was the home of Central State Hospital, intended to care and help for individuals with mental psychosis throughout the Hoosier State. The institution's history lives on in the collections at the Indiana Medical History Museum and the countless ghost stories retold about the abandoned hospital. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host, Kat Loco, and along with me in this endeavor into the endless mysteries around the world are my friends, Christina Wald and hey. Jen Yeah, Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really cold where all of us are right now. What is it, nine degrees Fahrenheit where you are in Cincinnati? Yes. Oof. It feels so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's single digits. Um, here it's 31 and snowing. So um, I'm just waiting to see a mountain lion in my backyard. Well, yeah, those pictures of the bobcats are cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those, um, <laughs> I do love my neighbors. They, I, I guess, I don't know if they just always happen to see the bobcats outside in our lawn or if they just watch out the window all day. I'm not sure which one it is. Or they have a camera that alerts them. But I get warnings from them of, hey, there's a bobcat in your yard. Don't let your dogs out. Oh, and well, I appreciate nice. it because yeah. poor Mickey, who is blind and deaf, yeah. would be just food for him. Yeah. Like, yeah. So she's a little big, but we do have coyotes around here. Um, there We have bobcats. This is the second one. And then there is a confirmed mountain lion sighting two blocks away from me. So, yeah, this is one of, and and then of course there's the bears. There's the family of bears that live in the cemetery next to my house. So um, that sounds like a children's book. It does. <laughs> Our, um... I would write all oh, the the family of bears in the cemetery next to my house. Only macabre families would buy that. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. Which is a lot of people. That I think true. would yeah. really like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, the three little bears story. How is that not horrifying? And many, right? <laughs> that is true. I that mean, there true. are some versions where they eat Goldilocks. Well, they should. She was an intruder. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Stealing their food. Have you Sleeping seen the recent Puss in Boots movie? No, I've heard it's really good. It is very good, and the Goldilocks and the three bears are in it, mm-hmm. and it's a very good version of their family. So. Yeah, I do that. like that yeah. character. I will. My students told me it was really good, and I should watch it. I haven't yet. Yeah. Oh, it's it. It was very good. I yeah. That and Elemental, which mm-hmm. also was very oh, good. It's a yeah. Disney movie. So cool. So, yeah. so we're segueing from Disney to uh, yeah, trigger well, warnings and- for all of our <laughs> listeners. You can join us at Frogman Festival 2024 on March 2nd in Loveland, Ohio. I believe, will all three of us be there? I'll be yeah. there. I plan okay. on being there. So all yep. three of us will be there. And uh, we are Corpse Flower Press, which is the publishing company that I run, um, is debuting, debuting, great, <laughs> debuting an all new comic book, Frogman Funnies, uh, written and compiled by Tim Fuller. So people will recognize Tim. He is the art director for the Cabinet of Curiosities comics anthology. So, he... And also Mark Muncy is going to be there. He and Carrie are going to be there. They have a table. Yay! That's great. Yeah, it, it's we're slowly finding out who's going to be there and it, all the different friends. Friend of the show, James Willis, will be there doing a talk as well, nice. and he is the author of one of my sources tonight. Oh, so, good segue. So just like yeah. wow. So for tonight's show, we are traveling just a hop, skip, and a jump to the next state over, which is Indiana, where I grew up, and. Uh, to Central State Hospital. Are you familiar with Central State Hospital at all? Uh, no. Christine has told me about it. I do believe she has visited the uh, the museum there. Wow. The yeah. medical uh, museum. 
The Medical Museum is one of the places that was on my I need to go do this list and mm-hmm. I never did before leaving. Yeah. So I am kicking myself now. And uh, it's wonderfully kept. Uh, the docents there and the director are very knowledgeable about all parts of the museum. Watched a lot of interviews of them today in the past few days while doing the research for tonight's show. And I'm really glad of what their mission is doing, bringing back a lot of the patient stories, mm. which um, as an anthropologist, we kind of lose those stories. And a lot of us now are trying to put them back together. Those more authentic stories from the people who lived and worked in the property, instead of just hearing the ghost stories and lore surrounding it. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that happened at this place. It has a very long history and uh, there is trigger warnings. There is body harm that is mentioned by one of the previous patients there and uh, there is lots of abuse. This is one reason why Central State doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. is because of that and money. So on to tonight's episode. So the sources for tonight are the Ind- Indianapolis Star, which is the newspaper there, the Indiana Medical History Museum, Indiana.gov, Weird Indiana by Mark Merriman, James Willis, and Troy Taylor, Wikipedia, Haunted Indiana 3 by Mark Merriman, and the documentary Central State Asylum for the Insane by Dan T. Hall and Vismo Films. And I will say, watching this documentary sent me back to my early ghost hunting days in Indiana in 2008. So I was like, I know a lot of these people. And uh, it was, it was, (laughs) it was like watching your high school yearbook like in front and fold in front of you and you're just like wow i know all these people and they're all on camera and okay so sitting in the center of indianapolis indiana once stood the immense campus of the central state hospital although started with the best of intentions central state has a long and twisted history filled with trauma and cruelty a trigger warning for all of our listeners just like at the start of the show who find stories of abuse difficult to hear i'll be reading reports from the past patients and staff and what they report is quite devastating as early as 1827 the indiana state legislature set authorized funds and land for the establishment of the hospital for the insane however construction was delayed for nearly 20 years the indiana hospital for the insane was opened in november of 1848 its purpose was for the treatment and housing of people in psychiatric distress throughout the state of indiana When it opened, the hospital consisted of one brick building on over 100 acres of wooded land and had a total of five patients. I don't know how many doctors. For the first 100 years of its history, the Indiana Hospital for the Insane continuously grew in both scale and the number of patients admitted. By 1948, the hospital had seen a name change to Central State Hospital dropping the for the insane bit in 1927, and we will refer to it as just Central State from here on out. Two Gothic dormitory buildings were constructed for male and female patients. The female dormitory was known as Seven Steeples, and it was laid out in the Kirkland Plan style of architecture common for mental institutions and prisons. A pathology department building where autopsies were conducted to find a cause for the patient's mental illnesses. Superintendent George F. Edenharder was responsible for the construction. A sick hospital for physical ailments, a farm for patients to exert occupational therapy, an amusement hall complete with a bowling alley, billiards, and an auditorium, gardens and fountains, a cannery staffed by patients, a firehouse, I'm going to say hopefully not staffed by patients, a powerhouse, a chapel, a cafeteria, and finally a cemetery in the northwest side of the property, which still stands today. All of these were connected in a web-like tunnel system except the cemetery. All tunnels were accessible from the administration building, which was built in 1938. Tunnels were wide enough for a gurney and also were the location for both the water pipes and underground electrical grid and any gas pipes. So really, It wasn't meant for gurneys to go through, although service trolleys could go through, like little hand carts that could go. It was for maintenance people to be able to go to and fro and fix things as needed. It wasn't like the body shoots that you hear about 
from uh, Waverly Hills or many of the other institutions, uh, the tuberculosis um, institutions, because they weren't necessarily trying to hide the bodies. That wasn't happening here. But one of the uh, urban legends was that's what these were for. And no, they were just utility tunnels. And so Indiana does get cold. The staff just wanted to make sure they were kind of warm when they were walking through. I mean, it's nine degrees outside. It gets chilly. So controversy swirled around Central State in 1884 when Civil War veteran Albert Thayer published an expose about his time in the hospital after he was discharged. Thayer was appalled by the terrible treatment of himself and other patients while at Central State, and he was one of the few who managed to leave the hospital. He encouraged other patients who managed to get out as well to write about their own experiences there. This later became the publication known as the Indiana Crazy Horse. The following year, when Superintendent William Baldwin Fletcher was fired from his position, he was fired for knowing destroying mechanical restraints in a bonfire in 1883. Fletcher was an advocate for public public health. Oh my goodness. Fletcher was a advocate for public mental health and he was renowned for abolishing physical restraints at the hospital while he was a superintendent. In the bonfire, he burned straitjackets, covered cribs, restraintment chairs, and other restraintment contraptions. He also opposed staff appointments influenced by the local politics. Due to overcrowding in Central State Hospital, new hospitals were built across the state. Evansville was built in 1890, that is in the southwest corner of the state. Logansport in 1888, which is the northwest or northern side of the state, Madison in 1910 in the southeast, and Richmond in 1890. India in Richmond, Indiana in 1890. Uh, Central State is the only, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Central State then served only the 38 counties in the central area of Indiana. More hospitals have been built since then. Out of all these original hospitals built in the early 20th century and late 19th century, only Central State has been permanently closed and now raised. The term insane, of course, was rather broad, and patients who were admitted ranged from those suffering from emotional stress, those with dementia, schizophrenia, to the criminally insane. And now I will say for all of our listeners, skip 30 seconds if you don't want to hear graphic details of some psychosis that took place. Jen and Christina, I am sorry. There was one woman who was there when I was a patient, and she would torture herself, says a former patient interviewed for the documentary, whose name was redacted for his privacy. They would have to remove pins and needles from her legs. She would force them up underneath her skin. So this poor woman was doing that. Common treatments for patients were placing them into straitjackets, cold water baths, and confinement in cages or crates and isolation. Shock therapy and lobotomies were also performed on some patients as it was trendy as a procedure to do on patients in the early 20th century. Patient neglect was also very common, leaving patients in the rooms without supervision for hours to days on end. Living in the dormitories for patients meant sleeping on straw mattresses, inadequate heat or ventilation in their rooms, leaking roofs, little to no fresh water. When submitted to the hospital, it was rare for patients to ever be discharged, and they spent their entire lives on the hospital campus. Those deemed criminally insane were housed in separate facilities from the general population. They generally had tighter security and physical restraints were often used on them. The aides who worked with the patients were not as well trained as the doctors and psychiatrists who actually were with them or visiting them occasionally, and nurses who worked with the patients. It didn't pay well, and there's a lot of turnover, even to this day with aides who work in these institutions, and I can speak from personal experience here, the pay is not great and the turnover is very high, which means there is a lot of abuse that can happen, even in this historical context. 
Many times the inadequate care was the cause of overpopulation in these wards with staff who ha would have to take care of dozens of patients by themselves. So one reason why isolation happened, as in the case with Penhurst, was that you would have one staff member for 20 to 50 patients and isolation and restraints were used so that they can actually just manage to take care of everyone during their shift. And as soon as they were done taking care of everyone, they had to go around and do it again. I can see where burnout would be very common. Uh, so staff and aides may have started with the best of intentions, but stress, frustration, and overwork would very quickly cause these people to lash out. That did happen. And the hospital throughout its history was chronically underfunded and understaffed for the proper treatment of all of its patients. Patients did occasionally manage to slip away from their care caretakers. Sometimes those patients would hurt themselves or others. As uh, mentioned in the documentary, one time you used to be able to see the fountain at the front of the building. There's one that's still there in the front of Evans building that's covered with bushes. There was a patient who died out in the fountains, reports a former staff member in the Central State documentary. Another incident recounted where a violent attack between patients took place. In a manic episode, an escaped patient bludgeoned another patient to death with a rock in, fr in the front grove of trees. The grove was a common hangout place for patients to congregate while being supervised. The former staff member recounts in this documentary, there was actually two that I knew, uh, as in ghosts, patients who had died out there. When I would go to check the grounds at night when I was a supervisor, I would see the shadows move. That just kind of scared me. From the same location, visitors have encountered the shrieking ghost that haunts the central tree grove. Patients in white gowns have also been reported to be seen still walking in the area as well as mumbling. This is starting to sound a lot like uh, the old asylum that Cincinnati had that was completely raised to the ground and groundskeepers have seen ghosts of the old patients and nurses and staff floating about six feet off the ground where the old floor was. So this is very similar to that particular report. The administration building reportedly had a lot of energy left inside it. Psychics who visited the property would report feeling like spirits were constantly going in and out of the building, and some have reported oppressive feelings and vortexes in the building, which makes its current use very interesting. It would, uh, I would sit there by myself, being the midnight shift, when everything was closed and I'd hear doors shut. I was in one room relaxing and heard a woman in heels clunk, 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 walk down up to the glass. I jumped up and looked and I looked and there was no one there. When I was standing there looking, I heard her walk away, reports a former groundskeeper who worked on the property after it closed in 1994. When I started working here, I never believed in ghosts, he says. The upper floors of the administration building, uh, People reported always feeling icky and, uh, yeah, said a former employee. The second floor of the administration building was also where examinations of patients were carried out. <laughs> there was this one guy who didn't want to be bothered by anyone, so he would draw these satanic type of illustrations. One was like a bull, but with a face that looked real demonic. The eyes did, said a former patient in the documentary. And they actually had film of this patient painting what this bull looked like. And to me, it looked like a really weird rendition of the Chicago Bull logo, but um, it, it's, it, it was clearly a bull because <laughs> it had long horns and everything. But sure, if you're trying to scare off people and be left alone, drawing satanic looking things is the way to do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's me editorializing. The uh, cafeteria was another meeting place for patients. Uh, electronic voice phenomena were often recorded here while the building stood, cold spots and hot spots were recorded there by paranormal groups who were permitted to go ghost hunting there. In the powerhouse basement, apparitions had been reported walking through the tunnel system there, banging on pipes and sometimes assaulting workmen. In one account, a workman was in the tunnels and suddenly felt as if he was being choked by a spirit. When he was later examined, it was found he had deep red marks around his neck with no explanation. Again, the powerhouse is another place where paranormal investigators have recorded EVP. And there's also a phantom who liked to turn the boiler on and off. In one of the new buildings, Evans Building, 
it, um, one of the interviewees said it was a place where patients had been and some of the worst places. There were all these back rooms where they kept the real elderly. There was this one woman who had this real witchy, real haunting kind of laugh. We would walk down the hallways and always hear, hear that as in the laugh. And this was recounted by a former patient uh, who lived there in the Evans building at the time. EVPs of this laugh have been recorded in the Evans building. And the Evans building is also where the quiet rooms were, the isolation rooms where patients could be put in there for up to a week. Feelings of being watched are common in this area. Please excuse the sound of my dogs scratching the door trying to get inside. And then finally, we have the tunnels. It was rumored that in the 1950s, when remodeling was being done on the original Victorian buildings, construction workers found dark rooms in the underground passages where chains and shackles were still bolted to the stone walls. The tunnels under the women's dormitory were where patients were put into isolation. Sometimes you could hear the chains rattling where people were put into isolation, even though no one was there. The tunnel from administration to Evans was another location of chains and shackles for patients. I saw a woman wearing a white skirt and a red cape one time when I was taking a patient from Bolton to Evans, recounts a former attendant and employee of the hospital. In the 1990s when he worked, no one wore that uniform. He goes on to say, the ghost is known as the Red Lady and legend has it that she was a nurse who used to do ground checks. She died in an accident in the old main building, which is the Mormon's dormitory, and it was about 20 years before they tore it down, and she would wear red capes. And if you saw her you were going through as you were going through the tunnels, she would come up to you and touch you and tell you that you were going in the wrong place. He also would see flashes of her red cape and white uniform when in the tunnels between Bolton and Bear, he or Bar. He learned about her story from an older attendant who worked there. The 1950s saw the max population at Central State peaking at 2,500 patients of all ages. There was at one point 58 pediatric patients being cared for at the hospital. By the 1970s, the old Victorian buildings were considered unsafe and obsolete, so many of them were raised in favor of brand new brick buildings. In 1974, three new state-of-the-art buildings were constructed, the previous mentioned Evans Building, but also the Barr and Bolton Buildings. This, however, did not curb the mistreatment, abuse, and horrific treatment of the patients in the facility. Public awareness grew over the mistreatment of asylum patients around the country, and starting in the early 1980s, changes were made in the institutions. More pharmaceuticals were used to treat mental illness, resulting in fewer patients being admitted. Restraints were reduced, and more attention was paid to treating the patients instead of confining them. Funding shortages in the early 1990s ultimately led to the closure of Central State. The state of Indiana closed Central State in 1994, preserving the pathology lab to be made into the Indiana Medical History Museum, which can be still visited today, although you do need a reservation to do that right now. The rest of the facilities were abandoned in Britain and put into ruin, heavily policed by Capitol Police. Between the closure in 1994 and 2011, when re redevelopment started, urban explorers and visiting officers were the witnesses to various reported paranormal phenomena. And this is where a lot of our urban legends and folklore about the property actually comes from, this portion of its history. The old hospital grounds were used for anti-terror or other safety training exercises conducted by the Indiana National Guard, police, or fire officials. During these training exercises, officers reported feeling cold spots, seeing glimpses of figures, and hearing odd shrieks and moans in the hallways. Groundskeepers have witnessed former patients floating across the lawns at night or phantom crying in the hallways. Because although it was no longer being used as a hospital, the state of Indiana still maintained it. So there were people on the grounds upkeeping, mowing the lawns and all of that in the buildings the entire time, which is why uh, the different officials are able to use it for training operations because it was still usable. There was still power. It was just instead of thousands of people on the property, you maybe had 10 plus the museum. As of 2022, only four buildings stand on the original campus. The 1886 power plant, 
1895 pathology building and the smaller dead house next to it, the 1890 and the 1895 laundry building, and the 1938 administration building. The administration building, however, has been gutted and retrofitted into modern apartments now called Central State Mansion. The Indiana State Archives, the Indiana State Library, and the Indiana Medical History Museum are preserving the history of the institution that served the mentally ill in Indiana for over 146 years. Currently, the Indiana Medical History Museum, with Ball State University archaeologists, are working to preserve the graves of former hospital patients. The movement to give the voices back to the patients who lived at the hospital is led by Indiana Medical History Museum Director Sarah Halter. They are working to identify and memorialize those buried in the cemetery so many since so many of the records and headstones have disappeared with time. The cemetery is actually divided into two sections with Tibbs running between them. With so many decades of trauma and death, the former Central State Hospital is renowned for its paranormal activity, some calling it the, the location, the most haunted place in Indiana, and it probably is. So that is my book report on Central State Hospital. It is by far the most well-known haunted place in the state of Indiana, besides the Hacienda restaurant. So what, you have you, been there. I have never been, managed there. So nope. you never went there at all. You, uh, when, okay. No, I really, I had the opportunity to in 2014 uh-huh. and I ended up moving to Rhode Island before I could go. Uh-huh. So I had been invited to, uh, to go on a guided legal tour of central state and uh, it was supposed to be in September of 2014 or 2015. And uh, I moved to Rhode Island in August of that year. So it was so close. But and then by the time I came back, everything was either condemned or raised. So mm-hmm. it, it was too bad. Story went down in 2011. So uh, the documentary, um, Dan's documentary that he did was back in 2008. And it's some of the last footage of the buildings before they were raised. So, yeah. Uh, if you want, we can talk to Christine about it. She was there past couple of years. It would be great hey. to get Christine on to do a follow-up on the story. And I know a lot of people in Indiana did manage to visit so mm-hmm. I'd love to have a lot more first-person uh, discussion about what people saw and encountered while there. Um, I, I know I have visited psychiatric hospitals before, like Penhurst is one I mentioned er- during the reading. Uh, that and then um, another one that's in New York that, or no, uh, also in Pennsylvania that I just com- blanked on. Besides um, Anchorage, where we've been, that also mm-hmm. was a nursing home. Not quite psychiatric, but dementia patients were there too. Yeah, um, overstaffed so or understaffed and overcrowded. Every single one of them to this day um, is they're not staffed high enough. It's no. oh yeah, and they're building more and more of them. They just built yeah. two. Yeah. They just built. A, they're building another one on North Bench, less than a mile from our house. You're kidding. And they, there's already a ginormous one they opened about a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're just housing. I mean, so I guess it's a problem that's ongoing. Like people are always trying to figure out. I mean, it actually segues a little bit into our hometown haunt because mm-hmm. um, the house that they lived in, and I don't know if it has so much to do with with the story, but um, I think it was Troy's mother's great great grandfather was in chains up in their attic because now he would probably be diagnosed with dementia. They thought he was crazy. Um, People didn't know what to do with people that had dementia or illness. And so it was, I suppose, either chain them up in their attic or Mm -hmm. send them to these institutions. It seemed like not a lot was understood about a lot of this. It's still not understood. Right. It still really isn't. Uh, Before really... I'm going to say the 1920s, it mm-hmm. was people were chained up because they didn't know restraint was the only way they could treat them. Mm-hmm. And I will say uh, people with um, some forms of dementia can get very violent. As, it's uh, true. I know. It's true. Oh, yeah. It's um, my my mom routinely beats up her aids. Um, it's I, I can only laugh about it because there's no way to. 
kind of process. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just thinking of my mother and I'm not making fun of her in any way, but mm-hmm. she's, she's a fall risk now. She has no strength at all, but her trying to throw a punch at one of these younger 20 something aides is in my head. Just like, yeah, that it has to be like a mosquito hitting. You hope it's not. You would it. hope they see it coming, and yeah. <laughs> can at least. I think it's a very frequent thing. I think from mm-hmm. their standpoint, the person with the dementia, mm-hmm. they they feel like they're being assaulted. I mean, well, you know, yeah. they're, they don't they're understand necessarily what's going on, and they, yeah. you know, they're in a sort of a fight or flight mode. Right. Yeah, well, and that's when you discover if people if they fight or if they flee. Um, or freeze that's also or freeze. A response. Yeah, yeah that's another one deer in headlights mm-hmm. yeah with my mom she cycles it takes about 15 minutes at max and then she'll cycle again with the conversation topics mm-hmm. and um she can get disoriented and confused very quickly mm-hmm. so um i can understand why it happens um and i can only imagine if there was absolutely no medication happening and your family mm-hmm. member has dementia yeah. or um another family member uh or sorry friend of the family she has schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and she she is medicated for it but she knows when she's about to have issues when suddenly like it gets really light out and everything almost looks in this weird halo effect Mm -hmm. oh interesting yeah so she's like oh no i'm gonna go call my doctor now Mm -hmm. um because she'll have um just breaks from reality uh I know she was found outside of her house many years ago, just walking around completely disoriented. Mm-hmm. So, and that happens to a lot of, that's why they restrain them because they would get hurt or walk right. away. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of times, cause they didn't know where they were going. They may not even be able to um, find them. Know, mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they may not know how to respond or how to get somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it happened enough that people are like, we don't want you wandering off. And yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's so so I can understand, but it but it seems like, as much as these institutions, it seems like they always have the same story that they're understaffed and the people treated badly. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, one wonders if there's ever going to be a solution to this. Yeah, it's. I will say, modern medications have helped a lot. It stabilizes mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's not a hundred percent fix, of course, but it really does treat a lot of issues before they become worse. It's not, it, at least from my experiences, it, it's mm-hmm. just helped a lot. It's much better than lobotomies, which were, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, yes. the, the lobotomies and all that. And then um, electric shock therapy, which was also practiced there. And it's well, still practiced, actually. Yeah, apparently it's better now than it used to be. Well, but... better is, you know. <laughs> well, I, I think sometimes it does help people. Mm-hmm. jolt them back but i don't i'm hoping it's they don't understand scientifically what it does they yeah. they've compared it to like when your tv wouldn't tune in and you would hit it on the top and you'd oh, get like some okay. improvement that's kind of what they compare electroshock therapy that that being said it's still done because it does have some some people requ- report good results and say yeah. it helps them that's but true. they but it's one of those things that they don't totally know what it does and they don't it doesn't, you know, and for some people, it doesn't help them. Yeah, it's not know. for everyone. True. But for some people, it helps. And yeah, and, and kinda, so it's it's for people that it's a last resort, really. Yeah, like medical um, leeches still exist. Mm-hmm. But it, and, well, they and use medical, maggots, too. Yeah, I was about to say medical yeah. maggots are still around. Oh. So some of those things do work. It's just not everyone needs electroshock therapy. Just the bugs percentage. are natural. Well, Carrie Fisher got electroshock therapy. That doesn't surprise me. She and she it, and she used to she used to have an answering machine message saying that you know I may not know you because because <laughs> a lot of times it makes you forget. Yeah, um, too. But um, and and I think with her again, it's where you have issues where nothing seems to be working, so you're desperate and you're willing yeah. to try something. Yeah. Um, I think she had some efficacy, but I don't know. Um, there's several articles about it you can read about you know her. Yeah. I mean, she struggled a lot of her life. Yeah. 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 Well, I I think like as far as the understaffing issue, like we knew it was coming with the the boomer generation, right? Oh yeah. And yeah. then they need to keep up with the correct training mm-hmm. of people 
to mm-hmm. accommodate that, but not everybody wants to go into that field. So like, how do you, how do you get the right people to take care There's of your a lot of people who want to help? There's like, talk to people who are in nursing training or have become nurses. They just innately do want to help people. Yeah. It's just, they also need to be fairly compensated for the amount of work that True. they're doing. True. Agreed. Uh, like Agreed. I will happily pay all the people taking care of my mom as much as they need to keep doing it and be happy. Yeah. And also appropriate vacation time and mm-hmm. time off because you do need to step away from that caretaking. Well, yeah. And uh, also, and some states are doing better too, teaching family members how to caretake for their elderly and giving benefits that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. And that's how we do it safely. Because I know I would have liked to have some caretaking tips for when I had to take care of my mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when she started getting violent, I didn't know what to do. And mm -mm, there isn't, there are things for that. They're just not enough organizations for that. Gotcha. And this, there's actually an article that was on Huffington Post not too long ago that was basically warning the millennial generation of this is the biggest tide of change you're going to see is all of your parents becoming elderly and needing caretaking. And yeah. no one is prepared for it because we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough aides. We don't have enough staff. And we're going to have this influx of, as you said, the boomer generation coming in who need it. Dementia is being diagnosed far more frequently now. There's mm-hmm. more varieties and at earlier stages. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, these are specializations and even the people who specialize in it are starting to retire. So <laughs> it's just oh, no. it's a terrible catch 22. Yeah. And I don't think institutionalization, like what we see here in the mm-hmm. Kirkwood plan, I don't think that's going to work again, okay, but no, uh, no, but um, definitely but more support is needed. They definitely are building lots of facilities like them. I mean, these places are huge. They're also for mean. profit and yes. they're not, I don't know. I don't have the best experiences with them right now. So, well, well, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting because I, there was, there's something I was watching the other day talking about private equity firms buying a bunch of these nursing homes. Yes. Oh, that's great. It's very um, scary. It, it's not good. Um, you know, that's a whole different discussion, but, really but is. then you end up with situations not that different from this. I mean, you know, maybe I should keep an eye on the one next door because we might be investigating that in 10 years for all the ghosts there for all the, you know, I mean, it yeah. looks new and shiny, but what it looks like doesn't matter. It's what's the care like. Yeah. I do remember ghost hunting friends of mine that did visit Central State. And it wasn't e- easy to do, I'm going to say legally with permission. Mm-hmm. There was many, many people that would break in. Not that I knew. I will say that. <laughs> that were urban explorers. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like with the old Ohio penitentiary that was in downtown Columbus not to be confused with Mansfield, mm-hmm. uh, people would break into the reform, not the reformatory, the penitentiary there, and they would encounter ghostly phenomena. Now, was it the homeless or people that were without shelter? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But people would see apparitions walking down the hallway wearing the hospital gowns. Oh, um, wow. People would hear moaning. People would hear screaming. And one of the things I learned from a friend who was a nurse when I was investigating Penhurst was when you're doing EVP sessions, asking questions and giving choice to the people who could respond is amazing because uh, patients there were not given a choice at all. You got whatever food was available. So the idea when we went into the pediatric wing and we had candy and we could say, do you want butterscotch or would you like peppermint? We got a whole lot of activity over the voice, the audio recorder, because suddenly the kids that were there, and unfortunately there were kids' spirits there, were like, oh my gosh, I have a choice. I don't what have to What did they usually pick? Butterscotch. <laughs> really? Butterscotch? Interesting. Hey, butterscotch. You know, although I have to say I like butterscotch better than peppermint, but it's mm-hmm. less available. Yeah, it's less available. It's not so trendy, I guess, anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like doing butterscotches. But at any I rate, I can't help but wonder the kids that are in places like that if 
parents were just dropping them off because they didn't understand them and handle them or yeah yeah a lot of stuff wasn't understood it's still not understood oh yeah yeah it's um yeah it it wasn't understood very well and families it it being a caretaker of anyone who has anything that is limiting them it's um, not easy it's not easy and you can get tired and if you can imagine a lot of the families in indiana at the time were farmers or yeah. ranchers yeah. and uh, that's just another mouth to feed so yeah. we're going to send them a lot of these institutions started at poor as poor homes as we mm-hmm. talked about in a previous episode and this one did not this one was purposely for those who needed help mentally and uh, they they brought in the superintendents. If you read the list, they were interesting people that were enlightened and were trying to help people like uh, the man who set everything on fire. Uh, there was a big um, push in the late 19th century to get away from this restraint and more to talk therapy not quite Freudian, but a lot of dialectic therapy where you're trying mm-hmm. to, um, or the physical occupational therapy with taking care of the farm. Um, so you had patients who would be harvesting apples or the corn or whatever mm-hmm. that was in the garden. They would be doing that. That would give them something to do. There was a belief in if patients uh, had occupations that they would feel more inclined to heal themselves. Which you that know, sounds very Republican. Healed, but more direction and uh, it, it i'm just imagining sorry i'm imagining my mom trying to pick apples right now but <laughs> well you know saying that, that that's always an argument oh well if they just had a job things would be better yeah, right <laughs> very much that argument but yeah that's always been around very from, puritan <laughs> yeah from all of the patients that were able-bodied to do the kind of work out in the field not in the fields it wasn't there was a hundred acres but i'm I'm sitting like out in the field on the grounds on the ground (laughs) apple stuff like that they'd be out there for a few hours doing it yeah Mm -hmm. maybe they were more stable Mm -hmm. being able to go out see things not being stuck in your room not being shackled to a wall Mm -hmm. not being shackled to the tunnels that's Mm -hmm. a much more pleasing way to be outside Uh, that's probably really oh go on jen I was going to say, that's what it was like in Mansfield. Um, mm-hmm. They put the prisoners to work. Mm-hmm. They farmed. They did a whole bunch of things. And then Free one labor. guy came along one day and it's like this cruel and unusual punishment. The court agreed with him. And then after that, they got to sit in their cells 24-7. It's, it's a really complex issue because I think yeah. one of the things that's hard is, is you know, because of whatever is ailing somebody whether it's dementia or uh certain types of mental illness is i think is the people have very unpredictable behavior mm-hmm, and that's right. and that's what makes it difficult to treat because you know you might send a bunch of them out apple picking and then they all start like you said punching each other or mm-hmm. get in a fight or you know them on the head with an apple. or wander off or you know something like that yeah it's like the now, I will be honest, I did not find any records of an inmate stoning or bludgeoning another inmate to death. Oh, good. That seems, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just wasn't able to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's that is that unpredictability that is scary. Um, mm-hmm. It's because according to patients who were there and staff, they would hang out in this courtyard, this grove area. Um, and uh, just enjoying the sunlight. And then according to the story, one day, one of the more manic patients got out and bludgeoned somebody to death in the middle, in front of everyone. And uh, no staff were able to get there in time to keep it from happening. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it goes back to why are these places haunted? And uh, I know in the documentary, you had one of the psychics going, well, it's a place of trauma. It's like, yes, it's a place of trauma, but it's a way of remembering what happened there so it doesn't get repeated again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really... Well, especially patients that are schizophrenic or having a reality break, you don't know what they're seeing. You don't know why he went up and murdered that other man. I mean, he could have thought the guy was trying to kill him, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And 
that that is what's scary. Well, and, and, and that does happen to dementia people. Eyes. Like my, yeah. my uncle that just passed away in October, he thought, like my aunt went out to lunch, and I don't know if it's that he was watching Fox News and it got him, but he thought they, that she had been kidnapped. And of oh, course no. she wasn't. Mm -hmm. She was just going out to lunch with some friends. But mm -hmm. that's just the, but with the dementia, it's, I guess, aptly named. Like they don't, mm -hmm. you know, like your brain's not working normally. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of disassociation that happens and uh, yeah, your brain is not working normally and there's mm -hmm. different types. There's mm -hmm. Alzheimer's that a lot of people know about, but then you have, um, I think it's pronounced Lewy body dementia. That's Oh, that's what uh, Robin Williams had. Yeah. Oh, and okay. it works very fast and it will kill somebody within six to nine months. Oh my God. And yeah, you, that one is, um, it, it, it hmm, I shouldn't say the families that have, people with Louie body are lucky because they don't have the years of watching their family member deteriorate, right. but it's also very hard because it's very hard to ever prepare yourself for losing a family. So it's member. like a rapid, it's a uh, rapid decline of everything. Oh, so no. um, it, it's oh man, friends that have had it and were parent and their parents that have had it. It's, they were fine and then within months they're unable to walk they're unable to string uh, sentences together one that happens a lot is uh forgetting words or mm -hmm. verbs and things yeah mm -hmm. um then you get hand tremors you become unable to walk you become bedridden and it's just a decline very quickly that um awful. so and then you also have hallucinations that can happen and yeah. uh, like my mom at one point left a stove on and with frying eggs and oh. and um if it wasn't for our neighbor at the time who noticed the smell of burning and ran into the house and turned off the stove and put out the very the smoldering eggs that were on the stove um that could have been something very bad but my mom mm -hmm. got distracted something yeah. happened and she just walked away from the stove so i'm that was scary. Sorry. I'm just kind of using this as a weird therapy session. I didn't no, know that that's I fine. You know, also that missing show I was telling you about a lot mm -hmm. of the, the people that went missing, especially the young, young people are in their twenties. Um, I think a lot of it, they may not know if they haven't been found or having onset schizophrenia or some mm -hmm. sort of mental break because of the way they were acting before they went missing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like, there was this one young lady, she uh, um, was arrested and the jail released her. And a lot, of, a lot of the questions were, did they treat her fairly, ethically, mm -hmm. morally or whatever? Because then she went missing and they eventually found her remains. California case. Yeah. Yeah. Where she like spent a lot of money at a restaurant mm -hmm. and then was walking back. Mm -hmm. and, and she had money in her car mm -hmm. and hmm. you know and and one way i think is because cops are not necessarily trained to recognize those behaviors mm -hmm. they really don't know the person mm -hmm. so they can't really make a, an honest judgment but yeah. at the same time if you have any inkling that the person is mentally off mm -hmm. i let them go they, they mm -hmm. gave her the choice to mm -hmm. stay and she chose to leave. And then that's how they covered their asses. Basically. I, I don't know. It's just and like, there was another case of a kid. He, there was something obviously wrong to his parents, the way he was talking and interacting with them over the phone. Mm -hmm. Multiple people before he went missing were talking to him. And every time somebody else talked to him, he sounded fine. He was fine. And then he ended up missing and I don't think they ever found him, but he was having some sort of crisis mm -hmm. and they just never knew he wouldn't tell his parents for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And he would just tell the cops and everybody else he came into contact with that. Oh, I'm fine. You know? Oh, interesting. So how, how do you recognize is that someone making a decision and doing something because they know something you don't, or are they truly having a mental reality break? Yeah. How, and do, that, you, how do you protect them then? Yes. You can't. And, well, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one. Yeah. That's where the um, advocates. Although I do think are, the cops should have just kept that girl. 
Well, this case happened not in Indiana. Um, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I understand you. I, I have been binge watching cold case files. So yes, I understand. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, the advocacy definitely will help and go a long way. We, we've yeah. seen way too many um, stories in the news about people who were having psychological breaks or mm -hmm. kids with autism who are just being completely misunderstood right. and bad ac outcomes. Being shot. Happen. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That did not happen here. No. So sorry. Bringing it back. It's all right. Um, yeah, it's, it's no, interesting with the ghost stories. Um, yeah. it, it's who's being seen is interesting. Right. Who's telling the stories I mm -hmm. find interesting. Yeah. The fact that, um, like I had never heard about the story of the red lady. And she so watching cool. this documentary, yeah. and it seems to be I love something the cape. Was, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I'm like, that is a wonderful. That actually lets us really kind of dictate through fashion history when this lady was around, uh -huh. because the cape wearing and the skirt is a very 1930s and 1950s yeah. uniform, and, and it needs to come back. <laughs> it's very cute. Were they and, normally red? Like you never really hear ghosts of wearing red. It's always like white or black or gray. True, true. Well, um, this unfortunately I did not look up before the show, but what I remember is there was a uniform that was in the 40s, maybe the 30s, where it was more of a capelet. So mm -hmm. it only went to your elbows mm -hmm. and um, you would wear what would be essentially a tighter shirt with a pencil skirt. So, or slight, a skirt with slightly more room to move. And then you would wear a lower heeled shoe mm -hmm. that uh, was more like a loafer. And those were all white. And then you would wear the little white cap. And mm -hmm. then your capelet would be white and had like a red silk lining inside. So with him yeah. describing the red cape, I realized that's what he was describing was this kind of stereotypical mm -hmm. nurse uniform from the mid century basically mm -hmm. and i find it interesting that the people who were always encountering her were other nurses and orderlies working at the hospital it wasn't patients. Help them. yeah it was always other nurses and orderlies hmm. so i found that fascinating who was telling that story and retelling the story to the younger generations yeah. within the group also officers going and doing the anti-terror raids and stuff they mm -hmm. would use the old building the administration got used a lot as well as the powerhouse and uh, they were encountering hearing people moaning hearing people crying cold spots hot spots disembodied voices disembodied footsteps and mm -hmm. then wow. full-on apparitions walking through when no one was supposed to be there and wow. it's the fact that these are the people who are trained to um, basically react or not react in a panic situation. And mm -hmm. this is what they're seeing. And this is what they're telling their buddies. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm hoping they weren't using live rounds or anything. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, good. <laughs> there were never any stories of somebody accidentally being shot on the campus during a drill. Well, that would happen now. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of funny listening to some of the paranormal investigators talk about their time because they're like, well, we found random flashlights and random fire hoses and maybe huh. people accidentally left them there when they saw a ghost. And I'm like, you do realize that this is used for like anti-terror exercises, right? This is probably geared that a team accidentally left behind. Totally. Not out of shock because they just forgot. Forgot, it. yeah. So it... <laughs> It's interesting seeing who's telling the stories, who's receiving the stories. And the urban explorers, of course, had the most fantastic stories of the full-on apparitions, chasing them down hallways, making cold spots, the shrieking ghost in the grove. And I'm like, of course, it's the urban explorers seeing the most extreme stuff because they got to keep that story going. Yeah. So the fun, and I say this fun in a weird macabre way, is the medical museum i did not find any ghost stories associated with it at all hmm. and they even have the um morgue next to it they they have the uh dead house 
um, next to it. It's the second building. So technically they have two buildings on the property and the dead house is set up to be a morgue as you would have seen it back in the day. Oh, wow. And it I was, want to go there now. Yeah. I, I really encourage people to go, please make a reservation and go visit it. Um, it's on reservations only, but, um, cause they have to restrict how many people are allowed in and all that. But they do have specimens in formaldehyde. They are Ooh. taking a lot of stride trying to identify all the organs and who they may be parts of. Oh. So I'm like, wow. I'm Ooh, hoping can they DNA of... test those? I don't know. Um, Not because of formaldehyde? I don't know how much formaldehyde would have broken down the cellular structure of DNA. Mm. Because mm. these are pieces that have been around for decades in formaldehyde. Yeah. Mm. I am not I sure how that works. That That's something we can look up in anthropology to tell you that. So, okay. um, you know, it's funny because I was going to ask you, what is the dead house? And you must have been reading my brain. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of from what I can understand. I will be honest. This was the first time I encountered the term dead house. Mm -hmm. From context, I took it was the chill room where they would put corpses once somebody had died gotcha. before they actually worked on them. Okay. It was kind of funny seeing in the documentary uh, the psychic run into an embalming table. Oh. It felt like for the first time. Um, I'm sorry to drag on this documentary a little bit, but she's looking at it and she's like, terrible things happened here. Oh my gosh, it's so much dark feelings. And I'm like, it's an embalming table, a nice porcelain one, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> yes, I guess bad things happened here. They were trying That's to not how I feel about embalming. Yeah. And the amount of organs that the medical museum have that have cancer on them is amazing. Like oh, wow. uh, I was listening to one of the interviews and the director was just like, there are so many specimens of cancer on these patients organs. So, one of them is as big as a small apple. Wow. And they're like, oh my goodness. That the pain from having cancer that would make a lot of people lash out. Well, yeah, yeah. they didn't really have treatments for a lot of stuff. They didn't like the lucky ones got it diagnosed and removed in surgery. But good luck Maybe. if you survived the gangrene afterwards. So guess, surgery was pretty grisly in the 1800s. Yes, I'm so glad we live now. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean. The idea that anesthesia is a thing is is a very welcome. Yes. yes. When it works <laughs> properly, it's a wonderful thing. You know, I'm just exactly. thankful that I am not one of those people that wakes up from anesthesia. Me too. Yeah. I'm not My either. sister is one of those kind oh. of. Ooh, like yeah. she, she kind of needs a little bit more than I would, I would need because the few procedures I've had done, I'm just out and there's nothing there when I wake up don't remember a thing and they I don't totally it. know how anesthesia works they they don't know how it turns off the brain or anything mm -hmm. yeah. they're still they're, that's one of those things that was like a happy accident and they still don't totally understand yeah well drugs are I'm good glad, okay but so we have a yeah we have a hometown haunt oh real quick the video or the um the documentary we can watch on youtube Yes, you can. Okay, and it'll um, be in the show is, notes, correct? Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, it, it is. Um, son, oh, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Come on, Christina. I can't remember. <laughs> I just had a brain fart, and I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> well, our hometown haunt is from my mother-in-law, Patty. And she was telling me this just over the holidays, because we were talking about, you know, the podcast and stuff. And she said that, uh, and this is from her view. She says, my mother and aunt always talked about a ghost cat that they had in their house. They said that they would feel something rub on them at night, look in their faces and lay on them. And it really scared them because of the myth that cats suck out one's soul. And they had never had a cat that whole time they lived there. But when they moved in, there was a lot of cat poop in the house. So cats had apparently lived in the house at one time. And I also referenced that this is the same house that uh, their great-great-grandfather uh, was chained in the attic. And they used to think they could hear chains. So that was an earlier haunt we talked about where people heard chains and that sort of thing. And she said 
now they would have probably thought he had dementia. They thought he was crazy, but he had dementia. And again, they didn't know what to do with people. Um, but I don't think that has to do with the cats. But when I heard the story, it made me think of the creeper more than the cat. Yeah. Um, because they felt something and it, it wasn't another person. They felt something, you Tasting know. Tasting them. See if they were good for Yeah, <laughs> sitting on them. And I wondered what cat's reaction would be to this. Is this a common thing? And was it probably ghost cats? Oh, let's see. Um, right, let's unpack this. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. It, it does remind me of the creeper from Benhoffen. That's what I thought when I heard the yeah. story this time. The, the fact cats. that it would look at them, I want to know what they saw. Like, could they, in their mind's eye, did they think it was a cat or did they think it was something? They felt new? it was like something nuzzling up to their face the way cats do. Okay. Uh, our cats don't do that. I should say that. But, um, but they, she says they didn't say that they ever saw anything, but she's going to ask her aunt and mm -hmm. who was one of the eyewitnesses and see if she remembers. Did um, they feel suffocated at all? Well, they freaked them out. Like they yeah. thought they, but, but I guess the size and the mass felt like a cat, mm. but, but it did scare them. I'm going um, to go with it was a ghost cat and it accidentally scared them. Okay. Like it wasn't, but, that but, wasn't the intent, but that's what happened. Kitty just mm -hmm. wanted cuddles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it, saying it's a creeper makes it much scarier. Making it a creeper makes it way more scary and adds a whole new dimension to it. But I would like to hear the follow up on the accounts with this story. So I'm going to say ghost cat for now, but I want to hear more. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of, I have my own ghost cat stories, two of them actually. Um, one of them was from growing up. It was around 10 p.m. at night and my mom was watching TV and I was finishing homework and I stayed up all night. Basically, I was a night owl. And I remember her screaming for me and I came running in and I could see the imprints of cat paws climbing up the bed because it was wintertime and she had all her comforter on and you could see it was the perfect that kind of quarter size that uh the cat paws would be no we see that on our bed all the time when they walk on the comforter yeah and that's what our cats did but we had just lost gracie to cancer Aww. and um it basically it walked up it she could feel it hop onto the end of the bed near her feet and then she could see the imprints of Gracie's feet go up to her lap and then Aww. it just stopped and felt like it sat down Aww. and my mom was freaking out because she was startled and yeah. I was just like mom it's Gracie, Gracie. Yeah. don't freak out she's just saying hi and uh, she was just like okay yeah Mr. And, people yeah Mr. People and then the house that I had in Cincinnati had a ghost cat in it I watched it walk through broad daylight in the middle of the morning while I was getting my coffee, like, let's say 9 a.m., watched this orange and white tabby just walk right through my kitchen and went up the stairs. And I was just like, all right. This was before we had our uh, we had our rabbits, but we did not have our dogs at the time. And our rabbits did react. They freaked out. They ran away to the other side of the room and hid in their little boxes. Oh rabbits freaked out with everything, so it was kind of hard to say if it was the cat or just them being rabbits, but um, it was very strange, That's... and we only saw that cat once. Huh. It walked right it through. It just passing through. Just passing through, and that was definitely the vibe I got from it. it was just I'm going to call him Gus, and Gus was just like, I'm just passing through. Bye. So, um, there was that. So, I'm going to say ghost cat. And okay, but hopefully um, her aunt will have some eyewitness accounts of what this was. Yeah, and I hope so. Hmm. And uh, all right. I think Maybe a creeper is just a really demented, angry cat. It could be. Hmm. It really yeah, but it's be. probably still alive when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. So when Betsy goes cat, you'll have to tell me um, if you see her around me. Sure, I will do that. She's still, she's 20 year old kicking it. She's still, she's still there. She's still hanging in. She's there. Yeah. Yeah. She hopefully she'll there. still be there when I visit in March. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. And she, hopefully she won't make you yeah. suffocate. Oh. <laughs> All right. 
I miss cats. Like I miss being able to cuddle with them while sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, My cats used to sleep on my head. And then they yeah. would stick their paws in my mouth. <laughs> me up. We have not ever had a cat that sleeps on our heads. They almost always I, sleep at our feet. I did. Yeah. Uh, Betsy, no. when she's on the bed, she'll sleep next to me by my pillow. Uh, mm. I had a cat mouse. She would sleep on my head, on my yeah. pillow. Aww. And Mr. Yeah, Kitty, I used to have a Mr. Kitty. He would sleep right Aww. here every Aww. night. Yeah. Yeah. Canuck would always sleep like right in the crook of my neck and she's always cold especially in the winter time so that's yeah. where she would go she'd go mm -hmm. underneath the covers and just sleep right there yeah. so and mm -hmm. now i can't do that though i will say yeti the 60 pound dog has no problem trying to fill that void except for he's much bigger and heavier so he's kind of crushing you've got your own fur blanket i do have those my three own you really it was do a three dog night <laughs> this past weekend so. wow on that note, uh, mm -hmm. everyone, you can send your own ghost stories, urban legends, and creepy cryptid stories to our email, hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. Also, give us our your input on tonight's episode. If you've been to Central State, please let us know. If you saw anything creepy, please let us know. If you think we're full of hooey, yeah, you can please let us know. Um, I may agree with you. Uh, you can also <laughs> follow us at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook. You can join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. So, for Jen, Christina, and myself, thank you for joining us this week, and stay spooky. Bye. -bye. Bye.